this is where like we have to make choices. Is this what we tolerate or not? I think actually the response recently was uh, pretty good. We even saw Alex Jones trying to get on. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) When Alex Jones Jones is the voice of reason in the room, something's gone wrong. (laughs) Right. And so he was literally trying to say, I mean, he's like, you can say their uniforms are cool. Right. But like, not Hitler, and it's like he's literally like I love Hitler. Yeah, like there's no like, way to like, misinterpret that. No, <laughs> and you're just Christ. like, all right, we know where we're at here, right? That's gonna get taken out of context. Hey everybody, welcome to the A Better Way to a podcast with Andrew and Jordan. This week we are here with Carl from InRange TV, a very famous internet person uh, who we all love. We do. Much, be- much beloved and not controversial at all. Not at all. Everyone loves me. Absolute darling of the internet. Never, never, heard, never heard anybody say, a, say, a, say an unkind word about Carl. I not would once. say that you're a pretty good litmus test. For like yeah. how what it, whether I'm going to agree or not with a gun yes. person. Yeah. And I think that's pretty cool. Somebody posted something on Twitter the other day saying like, if you, uh, how do you view John Brown and uh, a as oh, yeah. a, a a as a like a badass or whatever or as a traitor? And there were people who were like, oh, he's he's treasonous scum. He betrayed the United States of America. I was like, there are people who don't like John oh, Brown. God. Like what? I, I was blown away. I was like, I thought we were unanimously in agreement that he was yeah. a badass. Like, and uh, well, some I some feel... people think he's crazy, but but even even the people yeah, who I'm think sure. he was unhinged are still like, yeah, he did a good job. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I think you got to be a little crazy to do something as you know as 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 wild as he tried to do, right? I mean, it's like, yeah, sure. Crazy isn't necessarily mean a bad thing. I mean, you got to be, yeah, you got to have some fire in your belly to try to do that, right? So yeah, not like everybody that, has like crazy that crazy. Yeah, but um, but yeah, that 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 is true. It's a very interesting litmus test. The fact to think that anyone would actually see John Brown in a bad light is disturbing. But we know that exists. Well, that was a the the predominant point of view at the time. Um, but you know, <laughs> yeah, I, I like to think that we as a society have uh, have uh, moved past that that Excelled kind of uh, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, we'd like to think so. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, uh, in fact, I do... there's an episode coming out on in range um, uh, next week on Wednesday. Uh, it I ran into some amazing topics when I was out in Grinnell, Iowa. We were uh, running the cornfield brutality with Brownells. And I didn't know at the time until I did some research that Grinnell, Iowa was founded as an abolitionist town and was one of the major depots what? of the Underground Railroad. And um, not That's only so did they cool. have a lot, of, a lot of ties to John Brown there. But not to uh, not to ruin the episode that's coming up next week. But one of the things I ran into, which was not as well covered, which I think should be covered more, um, was a 1860 race riot when some of the quote unquote fugitive slaves were stayed behind in Grinnell, and the local abolitionists put them in the public school system to help them become literate, and that turned into an interesting Whoa. problem with wow. some of the community. So that's the story yeah. coming out next week. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Well, don't I, worry, it's I love sp- the man. I just I love the vignettes, man. 
I mean, I don't know if I, I don't know if Jordan told you. I'm a, I'm a I'm a big fan. I'm actually a huge fan, so I'm super excited that you're here. And well, I appreciate I, um, that. Yeah, I I love the historical vignettes. Um, I just I I think that's so cool. Yeah, definitely. And we're we're so far we're doing a a, a better job than we were uh, when we started interviewing a tactical girlfriend and couldn't figure out how to talk. Oh my god, <laughs> I was so intimidated. <laughs> It was our first. I don't know. I, I wouldn't say our, our first. I don't know. I don't like. I don't. I don't like making anybody feel like uncomfortable comparing by... follower counts or anything. But no, just just in terms of no, like, no. <laughs> just in terms of like, uh, you know, we have like crazy how, imposter syndrome for people. Yeah, you know, it's 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 weird to like. It's weird to like talk. To, if I could just like fangirl for a moment, it's weird to like talk to people that you respect. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. Know. I can totally understand. It's also probably weird just to talk to someone you may have been watching for years or whatever, because yeah, there's that, that's a, there's yeah. that there's that interesting um, parasocial thing, and I'm not using that as a negative. It's yes. just a thing. It's no, like no, no. So I'll be out in public sometimes, and I'm like, every once in a while, someone will recognize me, usually more from my voice than from seeing me, and they have been watching the show, so they'll come up and they'll introduce themselves as though they know me. And yes, and, then, awesome. and you have no idea who you're because talking they to. Do, but they do. They do know me because me on my channel is me. I don't really have a, there's not, there's no like, there's no character there. But at the same time, the, there's a differential of understanding and that I've never met them before. So they're a completely new person to me. Right. So you're at like a huge disadvantage, you know, and, well, and I like, get, like, um, do you watch my show? And they're like, yeah, I'm like, oh, I, because I'm trying to figure out what <laughs> yeah. you're so you right. How long have you been following way. me for? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, like following me, not following me. Right, yeah, right, yeah. Right. Was that you that took a left back there when I took a left? So speaking yeah, of that's... tactical, I don't know if you saw, she put out her video from Desert Brutality or uh, yes. just uh, recently, a couple days ago. Yeah. I haven't watched the whole thing yet, but but that's cool. That's very exciting. She had been talk she had been talking to I don't remember if it was on the podcast or, or otherwise, but she had been talking about wanting to do more like whole match footage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we finally got that we we had that opportunity. She shot the whole match and uh um and that video is all seven stages, so finally got to pull that together. It was really cool. That's rad. Yeah, I'm excited to watch that. I haven't I haven't seen it yet, but I was looking forward to her posting it and uh Sounds like it was an awesome time. I've never, so we we asked people, what would you like to see a better way do next year? And we had like multiple people say to do brutality. Brutality, matches. yeah, yeah, which is so intimidating as somebody yeah. who, so, <laughs> like, I have I have been so out of practice uh, since since the pandemic began. I I have really been a shut in, and and I I have very very uh, seldom like actually been to the range. And so, like, thinking about, like, it's it's so daunting thinking about, like, getting out there and, like, doing competitions again when I haven't even, like, casually shot but a few times in the last, like, couple years. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the brutality matches are really interesting, I think, in that there obviously there's a competition there and it's a match and there's all the divisions and all the cool gear and all that stuff. But they have more and more, and every year, and I really like this part of it, they've more and more uh, turned also into a community event. Because, like, the yeah. kind of people coming out, the gathering of, of all sorts of cool, like-minded, or even sometimes not like-minded, but at least friendly um, folks, already the gear for, like, with the same goal in mind, which is to support one another and shoot a good match, is something that is, um, uh, to be honest, I feel is uh, really a little bit unusual. Like, the vibe at the brutality events is um, 
very positive and really yeah. cool. And um, I've noticed that. And on the I Discord, really, too. I really like that. And the fact that we're having such a great amount of diversity of people, walks of life, identity, all at the same event, not yeah. only not only competing together, but getting along positively, like literally bridge building um, is super positive and dope. And I really love that part of it. And uh, every, every brutality match, it's just more and more palpable. And uh, that's, that's something I'm very humbled <laughs> yeah. by. Yeah. It, it comes through in the way that people talk about it and the, and the, the content that people make for it. Um, it. Was that, was that your intention when, when you started doing uh, this, this two gun action stuff, was that your intention to like build a community of like-minded people or did that just happen? No, I mean, some of what's happened within range has been just the natural, like a natural accident. I'm just being honestly myself. But so when I started doing the two gun action match stuff, which is what brutality came out of, um, my intention then was to have something that was different than a lot of the other practical shooting sports that just weren't necessarily my bag. Like I've shot lots of different types of competition. I've shot three gun. I've shot cowboy action shooting extensively. Actually, I still do that sometimes. I shot across the course high power. I shot F class. I shot small bore. I've done all this stuff, and um, and I felt like there was like a a little bit of a of a niche that was missing, which was a competition that allowed you to do the stuff you would normally do at like a training event, but on the clock safely. And that was the whole premise of Two Gun from the beginning. Was there's nowhere this happens like. Like I'm not I'm not talking negatively against anything, but like three gun typically doesn't have you do the kind of stuff we do at a brutality event, right? And so yeah. that was the intent. And the intent of in range was to do cool firearms content. And and then I started getting my historical interest kind of blended into that. And then it turned into by just speaking my being myself and being hopefully, you know, approaching the topic honestly how I see it. Um Accidentally is not the right word, but not neither is intentionally. It just opened up the room to have to leave airspace for people who otherwise normally wouldn't have a place to go. That wasn't my intent. I wasn't like trying yeah. to mark it that way. It was just it was doing natural. the topics that I cared about naturally opened that space. And that turned out to be the best way of all. That's awesome. Yeah. Hell yeah, dude. We were talking about that with uh, with Tactical Girlfriend. Uh, yeah, actually, there's going to uh, be a lot of par <laughs> parallels yeah, I feel yeah. like between uh, this conversation and that one, which is cool because you know we uh, we we always talk about like Andrew and I disagree on some things, and we like no. disagreeing with our guests on some things. Like it's just normal. We we yeah. try we strive for this not to be an echo chamber, but we also want to have dope ass people on. And like w if we agree with dope ass people, like that's awesome. Um, and we just happen to agree with you on this. So like, that's, that's a, that's a mission statement by the way. Yeah. Yeah. If, if we agree with dope ass people, that's awesome. And, um, one thing that we said with her was like, uh, I, I think we asked her like, did you go into this trying to, to like represent, uh, like any specific group of people or community, or did you just want to give the information out there? And, um, based on our answer, we, we pretty much just said, it seems like when you go into something because you enjoy it. And uh, your your personality and, and like who you are bleeds through. It yeah. seems way more um, authentic, uh, like authentic than going in with the, the target on the back of the board and trying to hit it and like constantly adjusting to hit the target. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
Like I want to appeal to to subscribers and get this follower count. And I want to, you know, I want to hit this metric so that I can build ad revenue. And, you know, like that, I feel like when you're trying to do that, people notice. Yeah. Well, I mean, and and obviously in certain circumstances, you can see a lot of different content creators out there. And there's certainly people who have done that and they've achieved amazing numbers and success. But success, let me put that in air quotes. What does that mean? Like, is success subscriber numbers? Is success views? Is success success the money you're making? To me, obviously, yes, I want my project to be sufficiently um, self-sustaining that I can continue to do it. Don't get me wrong there. But success for me is more like what I was talking about earlier, which is hopefully being honest and legitimate to the topic, providing space and air in the room for others to have a conversation that would otherwise maybe not, and like the brutality events, aggregating and becoming a community-driven thing as they are, to me, that's far more success than having um, a hugely growing subscriber count, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But you got to get enough mass behind you to be able to make that happen in the first place, right? If no yeah. one's watching, no yeah. one's watching. So right. that's an interesting, delicate balance That's that's not... I mean, let's be let's be realistic. Like, so the um, in range has evolved over time, and the content on there's evolved over time. It's still basically the same thing, but there's topics there that weren't there in the very beginning. Like um, when I started doing a lot of the historical vignettes, or even more so, the confluence of civil rights and firearms, which really isn't discussed well anywhere. I don't. It's like one of those topics that's been ignored yeah. for a long time. Um, yeah, isn't that weird? It, I wonder it, uh, why. Well, but the stuff you find that blows my mind, um, like I said, I always call it, you know, induced amnesia, which is intentional. But the one that really blew my mind was um, something I'm a person that's interested in these topics and has been pursuing them for a long time, history in general. But then I find things such as the Red Summer of 1919 that I was vaguely aware of, but not 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 intrinsically aware of. I didn't grok it like I, I, I to use a Heinlein quote, but like I. I, I was aware of it, but not really aware of it. And then when I started really digging into Red Summer 1919 and finding out all the intricacies about it, that one just, my, I don't know how to put it, my, there was an epiphany to me because something that big and that severe and that culturally relevant and has a, still resonates now in terms of history of civil rights and firearms and and and, and racial relations, that that topic isn't, just intrinsically known by everyone that's an American tells me something super wrong because if that yeah. one, yeah. if that one's not on the tip of our tongues, what the hell else isn't that we're not talking about or thinking about or whatever. And for, for people that aren't familiar, uh, the, the red summer refers to uh, a, a series of um, I don't know if they were coordinated, but, but a series of, of white supremacists, basically terrorist attacks, and, uh, you know, murders of, of black men um, that happened across the United States, not exactly simultaneously, but, you know, in, in like a cluster of time and over, over the summer of 1919. Yeah. So like so I have there's like a two episodes on in range about it. One of them is about a local town here in Arizona, Bisbee. But the thing that's so when I the more you dig into the red summer of 1919, the more the more that we don't the fact that this isn't common knowledge is really concerning because. Um, the, the premise of it, if, if people haven't watched this or aren't aware of it, was we, during the American Expeditionary Forces to World War I, 
we were still a segregated military and uh blackjack pershing didn't want to didn't really want to have command over the the black soldiers so he essentially commissioned them over to the french the french got command over the black element of the american expeditionary forces and then they came to find out that the french were at least slightly more enlightened than the american forces and were treating them like regular soldiers and a letter was written literally from the u.s military to the french colleagues saying don't treat them that way they'll expect it when they come home and um yeah yeah and and um the french were so embarrassed by that letter that they tried to burn them and erase the history of it but w w e b du bois got a copy of it and printed it in, in his newsletter and um that got it out into the general understanding and when these soldiers came back from the war they did expect to be treated differently because they were treated like normal human beings, or at least to some degree, by their French command. And that turned into, as you said, um, a lot of white supremacist revolts and mass lynchings and murders across the whole country um, as a way to, quote unquote, put them back in their place. And the fact that that's not something that's on the common knowledge tells me, like I said, what else is missing? Um, And there's a lot. Yeah. Well, I'll be honest. I I had never heard to it referred to as the Red Summer of 1919 before. So I I was like, you know, uh, I I'm the perfect example of somebody who did not have that committed to common knowledge, and uh, I I had heard about those incidents before, but never referred to it like that. And um, it is it is absolutely crazy that we don't learn about things like that in school, and uh, that 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 it's it's just it's. I'm sure there's other people out there listening to this right now thinking the same thing, but I'm glad you guys explained it because I was, I was that person also. Yeah. So like for the, one of the episodes I have on the channel about it here in Bisbee, which is the little town on the border here in Arizona was um, there was a, a, a contingent of these black soldiers from uh, Fort Huachuca on, on leave. And they went to Bisbee to just get some R and R. And while they were in Bisbee, uh, some altercation occurred. And of course, one of them was accused of of essentially uh, sexually predating on a white woman, and the local law enforcement issued the order to disarm all black people in all of Bisbee, including the soldiers, which turned into a firefight in Whiskey Row in Bisbee between yeah, uh, like you do. black veterans and the local law enforcement. And that was one of the Red Summer events. Wow. That's, that's the yeah. reason I picked that particular one to do is for people, just to be honest, um, knowing the gun community and I'm putting that in air quotes because that's such a broad statement. Um, no, no, I know exactly what they're you're getting big at. fans of veterans and they're big fans of law enforcement. And now you've got a problem where you've got racist law enforcement attacking veterans from world war one who happen to be black. Who do you side with? It's an interesting question, isn't it? I think it's an yeah. easy question, but you know, I mean, that's, I know, that's me. Right? But to someone who's not aware. <laughs> yeah, of for so, yeah, yeah. I, yes. I know where I side with this. I'm not. I'm not asking. That was a rhetorical right. question. No, no, no. I know. I know exactly. <laughs> someone what you who mean. comes across that video unknowledgeable of the topic, it's it could be really challenging. Sparks fly in your brain, right? Yeah. Well, I yeah. mean, a perfect example. Have you ever re- read about Waco on the ATF's website? I don't think I've actually read about it on the ATF website. No. I I forget what I was looking up. It was either Waco or Ruby Ridge. But uh, if you read about it on the ATF's website, the narrative is significantly altered from what you might have come to learn from like a documentary or something like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it it in 
to, and, and there are people who I'm sure believe that kind of stuff. Like there, especially, you know, if your parents are, are it, law enforcement in, or in if what you way are, is it different? Just very like, it, uh, it, it paints, it, it, it paints the, well, for one, it, it paints the agents as like the heroes, essentially like oh, talks like about how they're, they're memorialized yeah. and uh, how they, how they gave the ultimate sacrifice and things like that. And, sure. um, you know, they just like the buzzwords and, and, you know, America, the beautiful and, uh, all that, all that fun stuff. But I, I read like, six or seven lines of it and i was just like oh it sounds like i'm reading like a foreign news source like uh right and that's like from a contemporary who, event that's not from something like before the it's internet it's on a right? government website yeah well but 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 if you you can imagine how the collective memory of 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 like a like a like a race massacre from 1919 yeah. might be erased even more easily than it is today you know, when people don't, people, all they have is like, you know, newspapers and word of mouth. Uh, well, like absolutely. one of the very first, well, first of all, on, regarding Waco, I've actually been to the Davidian compound um, and there are still Davidians living there. They have a new church um, and there's a memorial there with stones of all the people that were lost in that conflict. And they have memorial stones, not only for Davidians, but also for the agents um, equally represented, uh, which I find interesting on the behalf. Yeah, of, that is interesting. Um but in regards to like people not talking about this sort of history, if you go back to the 1811 uh, quote unquote slave revolt in which a number of plantation plantation uh, enslaved people raised up, rose up and tried to march on New Orleans. One of the very first examples of um, really demonstrable gun control was the fact that there was an edict put out by Governor Claiborne in Louisiana to ban the ownership or essentially the possession of firearms by any people of color, regardless of if they were free people or color or not, because that was a yeah. thing at the time. And the sale of powder and ball was also restricted. And like people don't talk about these things, but we're talking back in 1811, an example of gun control being highly racist. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you know, and, and and that was a if I remember this event correctly, and and this says something about the history of America that there are enough events like this that I may be mixing some of them up, but if I'm remembering this correctly, <laughs> the disarming of of black people marching on New Orleans was a precursor to white militias gunning them down. Well, shooting at people. That's not that's pretty true. So like the um, the revolt actually started in a place called the Destrehan Plantation. There's a video up on the channel on this. And I did a collaboration with Atun Shea on this as well. If you look at his channel. Um, but um, they uh, they 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 armed up as best they could. They broke into the militia or at least an armory and had a small number of 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 flintlock muskets that they could arm with. Although the predominant amount of the revolt was armed with just like literally cane knives. Um, but they had drums, yeah. they put on some uniforms, and they walked from plantation to plantation with the goal of increasing the size of the army. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. the goal was they were going to sack New Orleans um, and, uh, and, and, and change everything. But due to the fact that um, the local actually, quote unquote, well, let's put this out there, regulated and trained militia got armed up. And there was pretty much an interesting like military campaign where they tried to evade each other and eventually turned into a insurmountable odds where the militia had like extensive firearms training and dominated and then squelched the revolt. And all of uh, a significant number of the people that were involved in the revolt or led the revolt were then taken to essentially a, um, 
a kangaroo court, for lack of a better term, at the Destrehan Plantation, immediately charged with, of course, all sorts of criminal things. And the result was they were executed, their heads were cut off and put on poles all the way down River Road, all the way into New Orleans. Jeez. Yep. But anyways, the Claiborne himself, (laughs) Claiborne, the local government, gun control, affected not only the revolters, but essentially all people of color, at least for a duration of time after as a result of the revolt. Well, and that, like, what a lot of people don't realize is is um, using past pretense as a as a constitutional measure for whether or not certain laws now are constitutional. Um, so many laws back then were based in actual racist uh, ideas, and because they have such a significantly long history of being enacted, yeah, you can find similarly <laughs> racist. Really... Whether it's not intended to be racist well, now, no. it's so, using. So... Racist <laughs> the, laws back then to be used as as uh, a qualification to, to prove yeah. that the law now is is constitutional. So today they're arguing it's not unconstitutional to restrict these people's freedom because we did it in 1811. Well, in yes. 1811, they didn't think they were restricting people's freedom. You know, yeah. the, the fucking Constitution protected citizens, which were human beings, which were whole people. Well, that's not how they viewed racial minorities at the time. So, no. you know, you're not saying the thing that you think that you're saying, uh, you know, when you, when you, when you base your argument on, uh, in this historical context. No, exactly. And like, when people say they want access to your social media to determine whether you're a crazy person or not, you know, what, what did they do? What did we do to the indigenous population here when we labored the, labeled them undesirables? And we said, we, no, uh, no, no firearms should be possessed by any, uh, black people or undesirables or anyone deemed undesirable. And it was completely subjective. And it's essentially the same thing. You're, you're deeming a group of people undesirable and there's historical pre uh, there's historical precedence for it. That's the word I was looking for. Um, But well, we were speaking about this in the B roll before we actually got going on the podcast. When you talk about declaring people or marginalized groups or any group as a specific undesirable, it was like one of the things I mentioned in the B roll was, um, you know, the passion plays in Europe, which were were a drive to cause pogroms against Jewish populations. And now we're seeing, I believe very much, we're seeing when we see people, especially in people in government, using the phrase groomer, it is a new form of a passion play, which is attempting to invoke a pogrom against a different group of people, the yes, LGBTQ exactly. community. It's exactly the same thing. I am it's, always harping on this shit. It's the same tactic. It's just a different target. Yeah. And the kids are always the, the, the scapegoat, you know, that's whether it's what I've said this before, whether it's metal music or, or drag shows, you know, it's always protect the children, violent video games, uh, Marilyn Manson. Um, it's cause you can't say any argument against the children is, Oh, you don't want to protect the children and you are the bad person and we are the good person. Even though, you know, there, the argument is fundamentally wrong that, because if there's no danger, then what are you protecting the children from? And that's the argument is that it's it's a fabrication of danger, and it's 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 in, I think it's intentionally used to conflate um, maybe maybe some shred of of truth. Like you know, somebody sees a picture of kids at a drag show somewhere, so now all members of the LGBTQ community are groomers. Yeah. And well, you saw this picture, so obviously it's true. 
and yeah, you saw you saw the picture with like suggestive uh, caption creating yeah. content. Listen, there that are maybe shitty parents there. everywhere, and we don't go around to like straight parents and say like you did this with your kids. Therefore, like that we have to protect kids from straight parents. Like it's not. That's that's I I think I saw my first stripper when I was thirteen years old, uh, oh, and that was that was unintentional. And my dad I, I don't know if it was unintentional or not, but my dad brought me to his friends, uh, his girlfriend's friend's Jesus. birthday party, and they hired a stripper uh, who who uh, yeah. Does that make your dad a groomer? Uh, yeah, that's what I mean. But like that's okay, you know. Taking your kid to Hooters is okay, but uh, you know if if it was two dads, people would have a problem with it. Or yeah. two moms, people would have a problem with it, and I think it's crazy. Moral, moral panics are a recurring thing, right? I mean, you had absolutely. Like, it's interesting if we go back, if you look at the history, like, and this is not a complete thing at all because there's so many of them, and it's not only an American thing. Although Americans are particularly good at them, um, when, yeah. you look, when you look at when you look at moral panics, you go We're back. Number one. Well, I mean, like, kind of because you go back to you can go all the way back to the Salem witch trial. That was a moral panic. That yeah. was a yeah. That was, was. A, that was a, a social delusion. And a moral panic that cost people lives. The second, like the the most second, a second one that was prominent would have been uh, the Red Scare and McCarthyism was a moral panic. Then you have the third wave, probably, which is the Satanic Panic of the eighties and nineties that cost some lives and put a lot of people in jail and a lot of stuff that was nonsense was considered the was fact, right? But the Salem witch trial was was protecting children. I don't know about McCarthyism. The Satanic Panic definitely was. And we see some of what we're going on now, whether it's Q or this groomer thing, um, also using the same pretense of there's this group of people that are dangerous to our children. But the reality is the ones that have been historically very obviously dangerous to our children. I know this is a cliche thing to say, and I'm not trying to offend anyone, but like we know for a fact that parts or significant numbers of the, the Catholic Church have moved around predators within their own organization. Yes. This yeah. is not... This is not fiction. This is not delusion. We know this. No, no, no. We've yeah, Jordan's posted about that on his page. But no one's talking. Well, not no one, but they're not worried about them, but they're worried about a kid at a freaking like drag show, um, which statistically is not the case. It is interesting how people can be convinced where the good and the bad is based on moral panic. Right. And I think that's where we're at right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because it's people... Yeah, there, there's a conflation of details. People think that, you know, obviously there are certain things that you shouldn't bring kids to, but I, I would say, the, I mean, all the drag right. shows that I've personally seen would be family-friendly events. Yeah. They, they weren't they to... weren't like strip, they weren't strip yeah. shows. They weren't like, uh, uh, like Was it, there's what a, people There's a wide variety of them, right? You know, yeah, I've and there been are ones to... that you wouldn't bring kids to. Exactly. That's, that's what I was going to say is like, there's, there's oh, drag I'm... shows that I've been to that are like very not appropriate for kids. And, you know, but, but that's, that's the same as like, there's comedy shows that I've been to. That, yeah, you could say that about reasons. any form of entertainment, right? I mean, that's yeah. just, yeah. Reality. And by the way, like I said, even though like we know that there's been significant parts of the Catholic church that have moved around and protected predatory people, that doesn't mean all Catholics are child molesters. That's ridiculous. But we know no. the organization has a problem within it. Right. Um, right. So it, it's interesting to see these, like this, Interesting is not even the right word. It's sad yeah. <laughs> to see, to see this. It is these, significant to see. Well, I mean, let's be, I don't know how else to put it. It's hypocrisy. It is. It's exactly what it is. And, but there's definitely people using phrases like that 
for their own really disturbing means. Now, whether or not they believe it or not, I'm not, I can't tell you, but they're certainly causing really dangerous environments to exist that will ultimately result in yeah. more of what we just saw. Like there was a recent one and there'll be more. And the more that yep. rhetoric is ramped up by people who are seen as leadership, they're culpable. They're absolutely culpable. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's it, yeah, it it is definitely, uh, you know, we were talking about social media and technology before the times like this. I wish we just had, you know, the, the, the capital of Facebook just get hit by any MP or something like that. And <laughs> everyone's Facebook and well, Instagram good and are bad, gone, but, right? You well, know? that's what we were talking about. There's great stuff that happens from the internet and from social media. And, you know, I would never trade what I've gotten to do. And I, I met Andrew online. I've never met Andrew in person. He's, he's, he's an internet friend. He probably doesn't even yep. exist. He goes to a different school. No, I'm know. real. But, uh, yeah, I'm, a, I'm, I, I'm mostly real. <laughs> I know his kid. Like I know his wife, like this is, this is all I've made on social media and the, the internet. And I would never give that kind of stuff up. But then I, uh, yeah. you know, we see the, we see these people hopping on Twitter, these, these, these influential people and, and just giving these shit takes that are absolutely going to influence people. Uh, in the wrong direction. Well, it's yeah. it's a force multiplier. It allows the communication of an idea to transmit faster than it ever has within human history globally. So like going back to the original wave of moral panics, you go back to the Salem witch trial, it was it was regional reasonably regionally constrained because that was the as far as the concept and the delusion could get. But then as technology improved, the red scare with McCarthyism was of course much broader and more essentially U.S. across the country because of television. And now with social media, a good idea, but also a bad idea, can hit more susceptible, vulnerable minds faster. And that's that's the problem, is it's like a, it doesn't, it's not a small fire anymore, it's a giant wildfire, and it happens fast. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot more fuel. <laughs> We're all closer yeah. together. And, that, and, we, and that's why it's so important, all of us, myself included, to be very careful as much as we can be because we're all as humans we're all susceptible to delusional thinking all of us all <laughs> not me yeah, right not you <laughs> I'm sure you're, not. you're the exception no, I'm fine it's the rest of you guys yeah you're the exception <laughs> but, uh, but but most of us are myself included and that's why challenging yourself as much as possible in my opinion is like a very important thing absolutely I, you know, I, I've definitely said this before, but my grandfather, before he died, told, I, I was arguing about something stupid with him and because uh, I was 13 years old and it probably was stupid. I don't even remember what it was. Um, he said, all right, you've got five minutes to come up with an argument against what you just said. And I looked at him like he had two heads. And he said, if you can't argue against your beliefs, then you're ignorant to the other side and you don't deserve your opinion. And <laughs> I like that you. was, dude. That was, we were talking about Christopher Hitchens earlier. That was a hitch slap from my grandfather. Hey. And I, I was like, yeah. And ever since then, not actually ever since then, it was years after that that I actually took it to heart. Um, I was probably not until like my mid-20s that I actually really started paying attention to that and practicing it. Um, yeah. And, and I still catch myself often, you know, like it, it, not as often as I used to because I'm kind of surrounded by the same issues because of what I do. But um you know, I, I I find myself in situations like that, and I think it's absolute. It's like exercising. It's supposed to be uncomfortable, but it's because it's because you're getting better at something. Yes, that's so true. 
And people don't like discomfort. That's why people don't exercise. That's why people, yeah. you know, sit on the couch all day uh, as I'm, as I'm sat on the couch all day today. <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> no, actually I, w- I wish that was true. We had a leak in our basement, but that's a whole different Uh-oh. story. Um, I don't so, exercise cause I get sick for two weeks at a time. Cause my uh, son's daycare is filthy. Yeah, every daycare is filthy. Well, every day I think they're clean. It's just the kids that are filthy. No, this one's gross. We're actually we're gonna we're gonna go to we're gonna pull them out and probably look for a different daycare because we're really not. uh, But that's a that's a different thing. That's not for the podcast. (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised if we got onto that. Um. So as far as the. Uh, I almost said the advent of technology uh, with, with how the arrival of technology, <laughs> the computer is here. Um, technology being the way that it is in ideas and, and misinformation and, and, and everything being the way that it is. Uh, do you see it as being something that is generally good for the gun community? Um, or do you see it as kind of like a, and I know it sounds like an easy question and it probably is, but, uh, or do you see it as like because I see these same social problems in the gun community. I see gun owners that are that are saying other people shouldn't own guns because of what they believe politically, um, and their their arguments for them are are based on the same like unsound logic that they use for other social issues. Um, well, those one of the most common usually, ones. Those are, those are usually the same people that will like smash their hand down on the table and talk about rights and constitutional rights. But the minute you say you believe in constitutional rights, whatever that means, and then espouse that someone else, because of their belief system, should not be afraid or should not be afforded those rights, uh, there's only one phrase for that, and you're a damn hypocrite. You're a liar to your own cause, and saying that you believe in rights and constitutional rights, no, you're not. You're an authoritarian, and you're an authoritarian of whatever flavor your particular flavor is, I don't know. But the minute you believe that those rights exist for you and not for someone else, based on some arbitrary thing, uh, you're a hypocrite. There's no good answer other than that. That's God's truth. (laughs) Uh, And and to branch off of that, because I I agree 100%. I I think the the consistency of values is something that like people need. People don't practice nearly enough or don't realize that they're, that they're being hypocritical. Um, even to their own detriment, you know, to the to the destruction of their own ends, you know, the the if that makes sense, you know, like the that that like uh, you know they 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 it's it's like working backwards, right? But it but it undermines their 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 arguments for their own rights. Well, I mean, it's yeah. it's, it's, it's it's the very cliche picture of the giant pickup truck with the thin blue line and the and the. Yeah. And the come and take it sticker, the mold Don't tread sticker. on me or whatever. Yeah, it's like, well, which is it? Like, because if you believe that, you can't. Those are those are that's magical thinking. Those are counter. Come and tread on me. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, I mean, I, I know it's a cliche statement, but it's true, and you see a lot of that. And no, it's real. It's, you and see it's it like, often. It's very inconsistent, right? Um. So, which is it? And um. Yeah. Sometimes certain things can't coexist in the same space, <laughs> um, not 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 correctly. And so, um, I think that that's another topic that that comes about quite a bit. But when someone, I don't I don't, if you believe in if you believe in this concept of rights and constitutional rights, or I definitely believe in human rights. Um, 
and then argue that someone else shouldn't have them. I, I I think you need to sit back for a moment and reconsider your point. Like, where, yeah, how do you how can you if you want to say I'm an authoritarian and I completely believe that these rights should only be for this subset or Venn diagram because that's the only power that should be. You're at least being logically consistent, right? Right. Like, you're being fine. honest about fine. You're that you're from. a tanky, you're a fascist, you're whatever you are, but at least you're consistent. But trying to argue that you're pro-freedom while simultaneously saying that that person shouldn't have that freedom because I don't care for their identity um, is what do we curse on this show? I don't know. Is effing. Oh, yeah, you, can, you, can. you can say okay. the bad ones. But it's Fuck yes. fucking ridiculous. <laughs> and at that point, I don't know how you have a conversation with a person like that anymore. They are um, they're the one not allowing there to be air in the room for others. And the yeah, minute they're not they're not there in good faith. No, they're not there in good faith. No, it's the Nazi the bar thing. thing, right? If you have a bar and you, you you just have a regular bar and you have and you allow a a Nazi bigot to be in there and you don't do something about it, eventually you have a Nazi bar because he tells all his friends that's the bar to go hang out at. And no longer yeah, is yeah. there room, no longer is there room for anyone else yeah. in that bar that isn't part of that I- ideological belief system. That's why sub that's again, we mentioned this in the B-roll. Um, it's the paradox of tolerance. You tolerate intolerance, and eventually you have nothing but intolerance. Yeah. We have a live example of that in, in the town that I work in. There's a bar, not a not a Nazi bar. It's a dive bar that has been trying to turn into a, like, a, which I love dive bars, don't get me wrong, but it's been trying to turn into, like, a legitimately nice restaurant for about a decade, and it's just like a like a revolving door of of businesses. It's because the same clientele keep coming back and they're like fighting the new cu- the new customers and like <laughs> I don't know sitting on the bar and doing That's dumb so shit and it, it, it's literally the same bar with different well, names and different this owners. Joint up. This is my goddamn bar. No, no, one hundred percent. But that is one hundred percent like the Nazi bar. If you that's if you like a not- that's like a labor strike, but for like uh, fucking uh, getting shit faced. <laughs> this this yeah. is why when it comes to the content side of stuff, it's like allowing for authoritarians to exist in the space who are actively seeking the harm of others means you can't have room for anyone but authoritarians. Um, and yeah. that's why I think uh, it's it's like if you don't actively address it, you just essentially collect a bunch of the old same stuff. This is why so many other, I'm not going to mention names, but like when you go to a lot of other content creation sites or people or whatever, not all, right. but some, it's the same shit over and over again. You go look at the comments. Within three comments, you're going to see a comment about you're going to see something hateful. Jews. Pick a group, yeah. right? Yep. Yeah. And yeah, it doesn't take long. And that's because even if the content creator themselves doesn't adhere to that belief system, which I think many times they do not, if they don't actively do something about that in their audience, that is the audience they're going to have. Right. Because, because nobody wants to hang out with a bunch of fucking Nazis. I, I don't. Or in I the don't, room I, with them, even if you're not hanging out with yeah. them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so I, I like to use the word authoritarians because there's so many flavors of that. Like I said earlier. Yes. Yes, of course. Yeah, These yeah. are no different. They're just as bad. Um, yeah. Agreed. And so, and uh, that's no. <laughs> I don't know how to say that. No. Yeah. No, no, no. no not here. I, <laughs> go somewhere else. Yeah. And I yeah. think, I think, so there, there's two things that, that come to mind when I hear you say that. One, 
that's why I hear you get so much shit from uh, traditional conservatives and from like hardline uh, um, fucking red fuds uh, on the internet. And two, that's why your community is so fucking vibrant and positive. You know, I think that those things go hand in hand because because you seem really active in like um, not necessarily being explicit about your politics, but being explicit about your values uh, and and policing your community. And you see the results of it. I mean, the 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 it's not just the comment section on your videos. It's your your competitions that you host in your discord you know, it's very popular and it's getting more popular all the time and people have a good time when they go there. And I don't think that that would be the case, uh, if it was, um, I mean, again, I, I don't really want to like name names or like drag people through the mud, but you know, if, uh, certain other large gun tubers had some sort of like, uh, you know, big meetup, I, I think that the vibe would be very different. Well, yeah, I think you could, yeah, I, I mean, I, thank you. I take that as a compliment and that is, that is ho- that is hopefully how things will continue to be, and that is definitely a space that I want to be that way. And it's been it's been growing more in, in regards to that to that goal every year, and that's a wonderful thing. And so, and I you you mentioned a thing about politics and values. It's interesting because I think you can have values regardless of your politics, and your values yeah. can be positive regardless of your politics. You might have a different way of getting there. But if your values are ones that put people above everything else, like then then we can talk because that's the point. Your mechanism for getting to a good space might be different than mine. But the reality is, like, as long as the goodwill is there, then that's a space to be had. It's when the goodwill is missing or the values are different. Like um, if, if at any time you're saying such and such identity or person is less than human, we can no longer have a conversation again. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of so, my hard line. Our values are so different at that point. We have nothing in common. And um, uh, and you're a danger, frankly, not only to those people that I care about that are my friends or whatever, maybe to me as well. Yeah, because what's to stop them from labeling yeah. you in that group? Yeah, you know, because I, I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty uh, um, normative kind of guy, but... You know, you never know when they're going to decide you're just a little too fucking weird uh, to exist in their society. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. it, like, well, I mean, like, I mean, not I'm not trying to be like, I guess this is cultural more than political, but we're seeing that already. Right. So we've seen we've seen so much of this sort of, of, of horrible authoritarian, hateful stuff growing and it's going and it's like most recently, um, the mask has come off in a certain degree about a bunch of anti-Semitic stuff. And that part's yeah. been kind of, Oh yeah, it has that's been tapped down a little bit, right? It's been mostly groomers, LGBTQ protect the children, but the last couple of weeks, Oh wow. We're seeing exactly what we knew this always was the whole time. They were just yep. a little better about keeping their mouth shut on that particular thing because that's not very palatable, but that's recently kind of become very obvious Anyone that was paying attention would have known that, but this is the progression. This is the progression of that stuff. And um, this is where like, we have to make choices. Is this what we tolerate or not? I think actually the response recently was uh, pretty good. We even saw Alex Jones trying to get on. (laughs) Oh my God. When Alex Jones Jones is the voice of reason in the room, something's gone wrong. (laughs) Right. And so he was literally trying to say, no, 
I mean, he's like, you can say their uniforms are cool, right? But like, not Hitler. And it's like, he's literally like, I love Hitler. Yeah, like, there's no way to misinterpret that. No. <laughs> and you're just Christ. like, all right, we know where we're at here, right? So that's gonna get this, taken out this of context. This is the progression of this stuff, and that's what's <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's absolutely wild, and I do think you know I'm I'm not defending Kanye by any means, but I I think there's he's got some underlying like well okay so so I hear this a lot there. I hear this a lot you know like always oh, maybe maybe I don't know shit like and I'm well, not a doctor but listen no 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 so I think he does have some some mental health issues but I've met a lot of people with mental health issues that don't say they love Hitler yeah even <laughs> even at the height of their mania oh, yeah. and schizophrenic right. delusions no, I mean this is the same thing they try to pin onto to spree shootings or whatever. They're always like yeah. mental health yeah. issues or whatever. That's not like, fair. Vast, like, yes, he's on well, Some people that's are not assholes. First, first of all, find an American after the pandemic that's that doesn't true. have a mental health issue. Let's be real. Uh, yeah. um, but like, but, but, or not after, cause it's not after, but you know what I mean? Um, we're still got that going on, yes. but, but it's, it's, it has affected us in ways we're not even sure yet, but that's, that's not a fair statement. And I always go to this with that. It doesn't matter to me. If someone someone horrible trained their dog to be a fighting dog and it attacks me on the street or that same dog was trained to be a loving family dog, but has rabies and attacks me on the street. It doesn't matter. There's a dog chewing on my leg. The cause yeah. for that sort of irrelevant. Yeah, yeah, that's a, I that's get a that. good way to put it. So with the the craziness in mind uh, of of. uh Kanye being uh, pro Hitler and the the resurgence of literal the, uh, Nazi worship in the, yeah and trying to trying to keep shitty people out, out of our communities and, and things like that. Um, we were talking earlier about how your competitions seem to have just like a general positive vibe. You were mentioning that. Do you think that the competitions like brutality and other tactical games? Um, have like a role in defining uh, like a newer gun culture? Well, I think that there's nothing, I mean, as much as we live online and, and are terminally online, all of us, I think there's something to be said about sharing actual meat space where we're actually doing stuff together in the real world. Um, and there are some of the differences that are so palpably distinctive online and seem like critical stoppers aren't so much that when you're all together shooting a match together or having a good time. Like, some of these differences that seem insurmountable, and I'm not talking about ones in which you cause harm to others, I'm just talking about other weird little things that make people do the things they do online. When we get into the same space and we're all shooting that same drill or, or throwing that stupid kettlebell or whatever, um, there's 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 That's friendship. Stupid. Well, there's, there's com camaraderie and friendship that can be built there that I don't think is the same way possible online. We can make friends online. I'm not saying that's not possible. Of course, I have. But doing that stuff together builds community in a way that doesn't exist any other way. And so having a space where people of all walks of life that are kind and have at least similar values can share that space together um, builds something positive, and that is really important so could it so i guess to answer your question does it have a space to help build a newer gun community 
I don't want to hype my own stuff in a way that makes it sound like it's the answer because I don't think that's fair. Well, then maybe like in general, but, like like sort of grassroots shooting competitions. I think in general, yeah, I think it does because it's 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 kind of like is it Mark Twain that made the statement that like travel helps cure intolerance or ignorance? Yes, um, I think it was. And so yeah, yeah, getting together in that space and shooting together, we share at least one common ground. We're interested in getting, well, at least we're shooting guns and we either like guns or want to get better at guns. That's commonality right there. There's something. And there's probably a hell of a lot more. And that's the stuff that builds when you're together doing that together. So, yes, I think it can for sure. There you go. Do you, do you feel like um, smaller competitions, I don't want to say smaller competitions, but but um, more sort of grassroots organizations are distinct in any way than than like 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 big organizations like USPSA, or do you think that, 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 that what we're talking about here applies like regardless, like any, anywhere that people are getting together to shoot? I think it can help anytime people are together shooting together, as long as the place they're going to isn't intolerant of them. <laughs> um, that's the yeah. challenge, right? So um, some of these spaces aren't friendly to everyone. Um, I'm not saying USPSA, no. that's not what I'm saying, but if some of these spaces are not. So it's very important for people who are creating these spaces to make sure that those spaces are inclusive. And then that's where the magic can happen. Um, yeah. If it's if it's already not inclusive, then then you're going to have an echo chamber. Right. That's the problem. So um, I, th I that's the that's the interesting, diligent part of it is it's not just going to shoot together. You need to create a space that is that is open where people will feel comfortable to attend for that to happen um so i don't think brutality is the only place that that's the case and i think grassroots as you used the word is a really good space for that to happen because yeah whether it's a two-gun event or some other event or even getting together a group of people of like mind to go practice together that builds community and i think community is going to be as these communities as separate communities perhaps aggregate in terms of value that's where we're going to see a paradigm shift culturally and we are seeing a paradigm shift culturally yeah, yeah in yeah. the firearms ownership community you know and and uh this was this, to go back to tactical girlfriend again uh briefly she said something uh, when we were talking to her about how she doesn't believe in the idea of a larger gun community at all, only in, you know, these little, these micro communities that people form amongst each other. Mm -hmm. um, do, do you think that that's true? Or do you, do you think that there, there is a sort of underlying camaraderie that, that all gun owners kind of automatically share and participate in and contribute to? It's shifted for me. I used to think there was a thing, and I think there is a thing, and I think the thing that is generally called the gun community is frankly not something I'm a member of. Um, I think we have to form our own community that is going to be not part of whatever that was. I think that that thing has become so, um, so, uh, what's the word, uh, identity-driven um, in that. Yeah, I know what you mean that I'm not part of that. And I think I don't want to speak for her because that's her words, but I think what no. we need to do is build our own community that might have firearms as part of the focus, but we're not part of whatever was called the conventional gun community, because I've come to realize a good chunk of that community 
will never accept us and that's fine. We'll go do our thing then. Yeah. And you know, you almost get the sense that it's, um, you know, that, that, that when it's this sort of, I guess what we're referring to is the traditional gun community or the old gun community or old gun culture. You almost get the sense that it's more performative than it is ideological. I don't know. I can't speak to that. I think there is a lot of ideology there, though. Um, I mean, um, that's uh, I. That's why I think it's interesting to put out content, and this is what I I hope to try to do with some of the content. Is 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 for there are people that are on any topic. Pick one. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if it's Glock versus Smith and Wesson or. Ford versus Chevy, right? There are some people that are so ideologically tied up in the identity of a thing that they will never, ever even give a chance of letting their thought processes yeah. fail. But there are people that aren't there too. And so, uh, like we kind of touched on earlier in the podcast, um, bringing up topics, whether the historical or cultural or even just training, that um, mm, kind of cause sparks to fly in your brain with cognitive dissonance for a little bit. There, that's where that's where minds are changed and sometimes culture is built in a better way. Like if you ask a really hard question and someone is willing to think about it, um, that's where that's where you might change a heart or a mind or someone might go a better way than a worse way. Right. Um, there is um, uh, instead and and and. Um, being accepting and being willing to listen Again, within reason, there's a place and time where there's no longer yeah. the ability to do that. Don't get me wrong. But if the ability is there to do that, um, I would much rather try to have a hard conversation that helps shift things in a more positive way than to have um, than to exile someone where they will likely land up in the arms of an extremist thing. Yeah, yeah, I get what you mean. And that's why I think it's so important to offer a safe environment like you were saying it's it's politics aside if you have an environment where people can feel safe and feel vulnerable and and comfortable then you can open it up to the possibility of having conversations like that and and being being honest with yourself and being honest with the people around you without fear of judgment or fear of like um retaliation i mean which you would definitely have in some of these places and that's that's a question that we get all the time you know from people who don't have large online communities that they're part of how to find people to shoot with. Um, and it, it, it sucks for a lot of people who live in different parts of the country or, I mean, even in Connecticut where I live, like the, the ranges that are, I would say I live in a very fairly progressive area for, for a blue state. Um, and the range right around the corner from me is like full of fuds. Mm -hmm. um, like I, I, I don't think I would bring, I wouldn't feel comfortable bringing, bringing like a trans friend there. Um, and it sucks because for a lot of people, that's their only option. And that's not a safe and welcoming environment for, for those people. And I think when you, when you have, uh, competitions like yours, even if not openly, uh, and explicitly saying like, this is a safe space or anything right, like that, right. people generally get that feeling. And that way you have people from different backgrounds with different beliefs, um, feeling equally safe there, whether, whether they're on the right side or the left side, that they could say things without being attacked verbally or physically, um, 
for saying those things because well, I think putting out a sticker, like literally putting up a, a sticker that says this is a safe space, probably is performative. That's that's or absolutely that I would be very I would be very um, suspicious of something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it has to be real, and I think real is palpable. And 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 putting up a flyer like that is it would at least make me suspicious. Um, but yeah. to a certain degree, like I don't know how to put this any other way, like. It's hard. This is like this comes back to the gun community statement you made earlier about what Tactical was saying. We're not maybe we're not part of that, but that means we have to make our own. And so um, and that's hard. That's not easy. And you have to like um, it's been even hard at the local level. Like um, I'm not going to say from a bigoted perspective, but like running the two gun action challenge match just from the perspective of challenging the notions of what a match can be. Never mind any of these social or political topics, just what a match is, has been a struggle. And it's, 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 it's been over a decade of having to wrestle with the local range to do the things that we do, which are arguably safer than what other matches frequently do, but it's different. And as a result of being different, anything different is met with hostility. And so it's been really kind of have to force force our way in to to make the space we want to have and i think that when it comes to the firearms community i don't see an alternative left but if as we as we grassroots grow groups everywhere working together with again shared values maybe not even always shared beliefs shared values will be where we can make a new space that is separate and distinct and different from the old. And if we succeed at doing that well, the old one might become sort of defunct and will become the, yeah. the new yeah. gun community. They'll be the counterculture. You're right. Exactly. And I, the, it's, it's not going to happen fast. This is slow. These things are, these things are, these are, these are gradual movements, but um, in the last decade uh, in range, running in range and running matches, um, frankly, I think I am going to say I'm pretty positive about the amount of progress we've seen, um, of making it possible Absolutely. to have a separate space that, um, can be that. And, um, um, I'm, I think we're seeing more and more of that. And that's a really cool thing. Hey there, everybody. We hope you're enjoying the episode. If you do like what we're about and want to support us, our Patreon is a fantastic way to do so. It allows us to improve the podcast in many ways and helps fund our alcoholic coffee beverage stash to assist on those late night recording sessions. Now you may be thinking, this podcast has me absolutely smitten and I would love nothing more than to throw money at you, but what's in it for me? Well, I'm glad you asked. When you become a patron, you automatically get access to an exclusive collection of clips from the podcast not heard anywhere else. On top of that, we have a wide range of tiers available that will get you merch, discount codes, and even free gear delivered to you monthly. For any patrons currently listening to this, we are super thankful for your support and for keeping the dream alive that one day I will be able to meet Andrew and make sweet, sweet podcast magic with him in person. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash a better way to a in the episode notes for the podcast or on the link in our Instagram bio. All right, now that's all for that. Back to the show. You just, I mean, you see all these groups, these, these very small groups, um, in relation to the general gun community, I'm doing air quotes for that, um, that are popping up over the last, even just the last couple years, like since the beginning of the pandemic, 
um, of, of all these new shooters that are equally saying, uh, I don't have a place to go. And then finding people like them with, with shared values and, uh, you know, whether it's the area that they're from, um, you know, black women, these, the largest growing group of gun owners over the last two years, uh, there are multiple, um, black women owned gun groups now, whether they're instructors or, or like social clubs that they're just inviting people from the community to come shoot, um, that we didn't have 10 years ago. Uh, we just got the first black owned gun store in Connecticut ever. Uh, like nice two years ago or something like that. Now I think we have another one up in Hartford, but, uh, like that's wild to me that we, we didn't have a black owned gun store. Um, and I think when those communities start popping up in, in such like small, uh, percentages, but like, uh, like a large volume of, of those small groups, those small groups find each other. They're going to find that they have more in common with the groups around them end up creating these like slightly larger communities. And then those communities that are going to intersect different beliefs, different, different backgrounds and, and regional differences are going to find that they have more in common with, with the other groups out there than they may have had five or six years ago. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess we keep coming back to the community thing, but it's a very big and important element to me in this regard, because like so much of, well, I mean, like, let's look at the old gun culture. It's like so much about the emphasis on the rugged American individual, right? Down into including uh, the media. Like, like what's what's an iconic? If you go back to the old, the I'm gonna I'm gonna put air quotes, old gun culture. Think of the iconic people that are that are really revered in that. One of the, one of the obvious ones is what John Wayne, right? And all of that stuff is based on this idea of this individual defeating all the odds with all on their own. But it's that's a lie. It's always been a lie. Historically speaking, the yeah. things that succeed are when people come together and work together for the benefit of all. And um, so these communities forming in small groups around and then aggregating together, and I would say aggregating in spaces, whether it's a brutality match or somewhere else, to come together and find those like values that they share is going to grow um, a, a better a better firearms community tomorrow. And it's not the individual. It's, it's the aggregate that makes this better. Absolutely. Yeah. And I don't think you need to necessarily reject individualism altogether to, to accept that that is, that that is true and necessary, you know? Oh no. Uh, I mean, we're all individuals in our own accord, but it's the, it's, but it should not be at the cost of the whole. That's the difference, yeah. right? And, so, and, and there's yeah. this in in a sort of a, um, like sort of a language sense, I guess. There, there, there's a there's a distinction when people talk about individualism and rugged individualism, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and there's this sort of like worship that happens of like the lone strong man, uh, you know that. Like you were saying, like you know, one man against Parker the odds. Carlson had promoting sunning your taint or whatever. Uh, so that yes, exactly. That guy. And that's, Is that that's, where that that's started? The, the, yeah, it's, well, it's, the, it's like the manic conclusion of this of this like madness. You know, this this um, you know believing this lie that like you can exist as an island by yourself and 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 find you know find like victory against the world which is against you. You know, well, yeah, like, I mean, that's it's all bullshit. bullshit. So it's 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 social Darwinism versus Kropotkin mutual aid, right? Mutual aid is where actual evolution occurs. It's not 
the individual thing doesn't generally survive, but when in aggregate working together for the general benefit, they do. And that's where, that's where real progress happens. Um, it's like, um, it, technologically speaking too, it's, it's like, let's go, let's go ahead and use the guy that everyone likes to talk about right now. Elon Musk, right? So I, I'm not even going to hey. talk, not even going to talk about his skills or what he's about. What I'm going to say you. is whether you think that that guy's a genius or an idiot, the reality is the people building the stuff that works like SpaceX seems to be working. He ain't building that by himself. He's got an army of people doing that together to make that thing work. It's not an individual making that happen. It's it's an aggregate effort. Now, whether those people are being treated right, all that, I'm not going there. But the point is, it's not an individual doing that. Yeah, and, for sure. And and that's and society is definitely not an individual doing that. Like the, these are all group efforts, and that's why the to make the gun community better, it needs to be a group effort. I love that. Yeah. I uh, think people are going to hear this and, and uh, it's going to cement in that uh, chilling at your, your matches is, is, is where people need to be. Watch the, uh, <laughs> a better way to a podcast is going to uh, increase the, the, the attendance of the brutality matches by 200% next year <laughs> <laughs> with, our, with our wide view, our wide yeah. uh, listener base. Well, y'all got to come out and join us sometime. We've got a whole we, bunch we, more we on will. the agenda. We've got, uh, we got midnight brutality, which is the first ever brutality event. That's going to be low light, no light. Um, we got we've announced uh, handgun brutality, which is going to be a specifically a handgun event. The rules oh, aren't out cool. yet, but as a little sneak preview to people out there listening, it's going to be pretty cool. Honestly, um, it, you, you're going to be able to shoot handgun brutality with anything up. I mean, you could actually shoot the match with a cap and ball all the way up to a modern roll in special with a red dot. Like it's going to be it's huh. going to be really cool. Um, we've got woodland brutality, which will be coming in West Virginia. We've got cornfield brutality, which will be in uh with 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 brownells and um we're gonna Midnight well, brutality. as well so i mean this is all happening so um hopefully we'll we'll see all sorts of uh cool people coming out to uh not only again build community but also build their skills at the same time yeah that's that'll be a lot of fun i that's that's on my list woodland brutality next year is is on my list so i uh hopefully see you there i have to upgrade my kit a little bit and actually go out to the range and start doing some stuff. I don't remember the last time I threw a kettlebell and watching the video <laughs> from, from this year of, of, uh, I think a lot of people can't remember the last time they threw dude, a oh kettlebell. My God. The video, uh, I think it was you doing it, uh, and it's sinking in the mud and talking about how like the harder you threw yeah. it, the, far, the farther it's, I was like, I felt that in my soul. Like I was like this, this, cause I know what it's like to run in mud. I know what it's like to throw a kettlebell, but I've never done both at the same time. Um, and then tried to shoot afterwards. And I was like this, uh, I've never had the, the competitive gene to like feel miserable and want to like be fast at the same time. Like when yeah. I, when I feel miserable, I want to sit down and, uh, <laughs> but it, but it's, yeah. there's a part of me that's like, I really like, I want to do it. And it sounds like, it looks like a lot of fun. Um, but I know it's going to suck. Well, yeah, I think that's one of the things that is actually cool is that everybody experiencing the same thing together does build like a cool bond, right? There is some truth. To yeah. That. Like, uh, shared misery is, you know, trauma bonding, right? But like yeah. uh, everyone can like hazing ourselves. Yeah, but everybody consider. But one of the things I do love about the events, the brutality events, 
is we've always encouraged gentle, gentle teasing and people yelling from the audience, but also supportive, uh, supportive uh, community group. So like so many matches you go to where it's like, okay, they're going to shoot. No, 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 no. Brutality events, you're yelling, you're screaming, you're clapping. It's not it's a, there. You want, and honestly, I've awesome. never seen yeah. anyone at a brutality event that doesn't want the person they're watching to do well. Like it's it's you want to do well, but you also yeah. want to watch the person you're watching do well. Like it's it's really it's it feels good to see other people succeed. And um and it's all about I mean, obviously there's gonna be a winner because that's just how it works, but but even the first the person out there for their very first time, they make it through the match without DQing. That's awesome. Like you've done something cool, right? And um everybody's yeah. there. Everybody's <laughs> there. Yeah, and it's a positive yep. environment. Everybody's there to like cheer everybody else on, and that's that's really cool. Have you ever seen somebody get down in the prone and immediately vomit all over their optic? <laughs> uh, we've had because you're going to. We have had people throw up at the matches a number of times, and we consider that a point of pride. Um, but never on, <laughs> never necessarily prone on their optic. They normally step off to the side it, of the bed. Is that some kind up. of marine joke that we don't? Uh... No, but no. I, but I just see myself doing that. I just I see myself yeah. like you, you get you get the warning a couple steps before you throw up usually, and then I've only thrown up while running <laughs> once, and it's not a recommended oh uh, activity. We've had people um, thrown up. On the app. We've had people hurling on the side of the bay. I don't yeah. think anyone's ever thrown up on their gun. Like maybe? while running the range? I don't remember that happening, but maybe someday. It's an interesting form of uh, camouflage. Yeah, you'd have to have, yeah, not an effective one, depending on what you ate. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun. It, uh, it, it definitely sounds like something that uh, I, I'm going to have to make the drive out for. It's not that far. Virginia's like five hours away from me. Oh, that ain't bad. Yeah. And no. by the way, that range, the Echo Valley Training Center, is it's really beautiful. Um, you, well, you saw it in the footage. Um, but um, yeah, that place is really nice. It's a really cool spot. One of the things I like about that range is it's not just square bays. It allows us to do some like um, actual natural terrain stuff. The Casarda drill That's was cool. actually so in this cool. wooded area with mud, as you said. Um, the 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 long range stage was just in this open grassy field. It's it's really nice. It looked yeah. like a runway. Yeah, no, that was just this open grassy field just that just was cleared there. But there's a couple square bays. There's some square bays, but a whole bunch of the stuff we shot there was just natural terrain, which was really cool. We also, this wasn't in the footage, I don't think. I don't remember. But um, at the last Woodland Brutality, we had a really neat side stage that you could shoot if you wanted to, and it was force-on-force force with... Um, uh, with um, Simulation? Oh, uh, no, no, no. The... Um, Oh my god, I can't think of the word. The military laser thingies. Oh, uh, uh Mount. No, Mount is is the training center. Oh like, no. Uh, <laughs> that's okay. oh, I'm so uh, dumb. It's like I forget the name of it. Yeah, oh, the, the vest that, that you put on with the lasers. Don't bother and, me. Yeah. Is it is it like is it the one where they clamp on that bright orange uh yeah, yeah, yeah. On the uh, end of your... Miles No, gear. that's a used, that's a Miles, Miles. Miles gear, yeah, yeah. And so it was really cool because we had uh there was a person like fifty yards away. And you'd start there, and as you saw each other, they would essentially wave the flag, and then you would break apart and break contact. And um, if you tagged the OB4, you would have a bonus to your score. And if they tagged you, you would have a penalty to your score. 
So it actually had uh, repercussions. It was pretty cool. That's so cool. Are those? Is it? Is there just like a laser boresight in those things that? Yeah. Uh, so they, they attach. They attach a doodad to the very front of the muzzle, and you're firing blanks. But every time you fire the blank, it, it shoots out that laser beam, and the vest you're wearing is advanced laser tag. It will register a hit. It'll also so register cool. a near miss. It actually tells really? you. Yep. So when so when if they're shooting at you and it doesn't quite hit you, the beam isn't a direct beam. It's kind of like a cone, and so the edge of the cone will tell the miles gear that it was near. You were almost hit, and you'll get different beeps whether you were almost hit or if you were hit. So it's pretty cool. That is really cool. Sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, we did that last year. I don't know what we'll do for a bonus this year, but it was really neat. That sounds like way more fun than simunition, to be honest. Well, I've done sims too. They're painful. Yeah. That's what. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think it's an invaluable training tool, but it's not fun to get shot with. No, in fact, as a interesting. So, depending on how people, you know, if you're gonna, in my opinion, if you're going to be a person that's going to carry a firearm, you should seek out a good bit of training because that is a very interesting and significant responsibility to take on to oneself. And I have a sim round sitting over here on my bench from a zillion years ago um, when I took um, uh, ECQC from Southnark, the ex Extreme Close Quarters Combat Course. And um, you went out there and it's real, it, it really is a revelation because the first day of that course, um, there's a bunch of, of evolutions where you do, well, I guess it was the second day, evolutions where you're doing scenarios. And um, as a gun person, you'll be really interesting how often you think the guns, the problem is the solution to the problem. And at ECQC, it frequently was not. And um, uh, in that class, uh, at one time, I, I, I whipped out my concealed carry piece. Not only had it taken away from me, but I was shot with my own gun. And, uh, oh. and uh, that round is sitting there on my table because I'll never forget uh, that lesson learned. And those are the lessons that you get from training, which is, these things, these guns are, you know, guns are not magic talismans against evil. In fact, uh, using them inappropriately or not knowing how to use them while carrying them can be more of a detriment than a benefit. And so taking training like that is uh, quintessential to being responsible, in my opinion, and knowing how to do this properly. I'm not saying you have to have this to be successful. Yeah, that's not what I'm saying. But if seeking it out can be very revelationary and um, educational and that that spent sim round sitting there on my bench is a definite memory of the day I had my own gun shoot me. And I think making, making statements like that are, are kind of like, um, healing to the, to the gun community, because I think we're so used to being on the defense with people who are vehemently anti-gun that, uh, our arguments for guns kind of, um, they, they kind of like lose faith. You know, when you say, when somebody's trying to take, quote unquote take your guns um and you're saying you know like uh something i don't know what's what's a what's a trope like um an armed society is a polite society i catch right, myself saying right. that often um because i think the concept of uh, everyone can be armed um makes the society polite makes sense but i think in reality uh like you said if if you're armed but you have no idea how to use your gun um, yeah. you're not any safe you're not safer you're you're more of a danger to yourself and others yeah um, so and sometimes, especially sometimes when we're arguing with uh with with like people who are anti-gun we're very um we're arguing from like a position of like you know in an ideal world right 
Yeah. But then it's still it's nice to hear from someone who's who's you know it's it's a little safer and, and more comfortable to hear from someone who's obviously pro gun that you know you know maybe maybe this this fantasy world isn't isn't the place to 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 live all the time you know. Well, because we know that you know training is good, but when somebody who's anti gun says. I think anyone who wants to own a gun should have to go through 24 hours of training. We're like, fuck you. I don't want, no, I want to give my six year old a gun right, right. now. And it, it's his right. Like that's, that's it, you know, but, but that's not what we actually want. That's just what we're used to arguing. And, and it doesn't actually do us any good to, to argue like that. And, but, but we're, we're arguing against our best interests. If we say, yeah, I believe everybody should have to do 24 hours of training. Well, you know, you should be doing the way. It's a good faith argument again, right? So, like, yeah. when the opposition makes that statement about training, they're trying to use it as a wrench to prevent you from owning the thing. Um, and uh, the, op- the the pro-gun side, whatever that means, saying that, that they shouldn't require training is an understandable counter-argument to someone trying to take away what is, I believe, a, a human right, which is that to self-defense. Absolutely. But the, the reality is neither one's right. And the the truth is, getting good proper training means you're a much more responsible person with a responsibility of taking on the uh, reality of carrying a lethal weapon. <laughs> so, yeah, um, absolutely. It, and so it's like, am I saying that we should not have literacy tests to vote, and we shouldn't have requirements, yes, yeah, pre- yeah, exactly. and we shouldn't have requirements that are unreasonable to prevent someone from having their right to own a gun? I'm not saying that at all. That's that's the opposite. But I am saying that if one takes on the decision to carry a weapon, perhaps you should seek what that means. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I think that there's I think there's a big gulf between saying you should get training if you if you want to own and carry a gun and saying you have to get expensive training if you want to even buy a gun in the first place. Yeah, I mean, I think, that, I think that these are different statements, uh, you know, and, and I think that one is 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 bad faith, and I think that the other one is is well intentioned. That's fair. I think that's fair. Yeah. And so, anyways, taking that class was very educational, and uh, definitely <laughs> took away the myth. Any left, anything left of the mythology of the gun being a magic talisman was erased because it is not, um, and yeah. uh, it is it is a valuable tool in a very rare set of circumstances, um, which is fine. Like, quite honestly, um, more importantly, I took, like, medical training, honestly. Um, the odds of being able to, the, the need to use basic first aid is is higher and much more likely to save a life. And so does that Absolutely. mean you shouldn't own a gun and shouldn't take fire? No, it's not. But in the, as humans, we're not good at risk analysis. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, and, no. And, and um, the truth is, knowing how to use a tourniquet or a bandage is probably more likely to happen to you than needing to use a gun. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't have the gun. That's not what I'm saying either. People yeah. love to take those things and turn them into something else. It's not what I'm saying. Uh, but knowing how to use, but but on the statistical reality, knowing how to use a tourniquet is probably going to be more likely to do something beneficial. Yeah. I've always always had... And when it comes down to it, too, I mean, it's like you're, you're, you're thinking about a threat to your life, you know, uh, you, 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 want a, you want an accurate threat model, right? Um, so, 
the having having basic first aid skills yes is important um you know like eating vegetables also very important i know for a fact a lot of gun guys don't do that you know and, and it's like you, you want to stay alive you want to keep your loved ones alive there's a whole wide range of of activities and and habits that you need to develop that uh, you know a lot of people just skip right to the end they're like no i want to be ready with a gun on on the in the the least likely circumstance the uh you know the worst case scenario which floorboard am i going to hide this shotgun under yeah in the event that i'm in a in a safe room type movie situation you know who else doesn't eat vegetables jordan peterson he eats no vegetables is that true diet is that true yes oh my god Go look it what up. A, what, a what a fucking moron. It's super crazy. He's on this that like meat only diet. Yes. The craziest thing I ever tried was paleo. And even then it was like the the, the people that were doing paleo. I was like, you guys are weird. Like I'm trying <laughs> this out, but this is not a way of life. This is a crash diet. There are yep. definitely, you know, I would say I've tried keto before and I personally can't. I don't have the self-control to, to yeah. maintain that. I'm convinced um, that keto killed my uh, my wife's uncle. Yeah, you were telling me that. It is we've we've talked about this before. You know, my my wife has had a lot of success with it, and she she feels genuinely better when she does it. But I don't think every diet is for every person. I don't think like or even if, all of the time, right? No, 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 no. And and that's if you eat the same thing every day, Me, you're probably not gonna only what the f- yeah. That's why. Yeah, if you Google it up, you'll find out Jordan Peterson's on the meat only diet. That tells you a little bit more that you probably didn't want to know about that interesting person. I'm going to need that little trivia fact at some point in my life, and I'm going to thank you for it when I do. Yeah. <laughs> um, How do you know. even – hold on. No, I want to back up a second. How okay. do you even get enough meat? Like <laughs> – how do you even have enough meat to just like have a normal amount of calories throughout the day? How much meat are you taking in? I don't know. That in and of itself is a pretty privileged existence because I'm sure it's pretty expensive. That's a, that's a shit ton of meat for for like a for like the average person for like just basic caloric maintenance. I'm astounded. Yeah. I just can't. I can't believe that. We're gonna have to do some research into this and figure out how. Yeah, we'll crunch the numbers. We'll get back yeah, to you guys. Absolutely. <laughs> um, Carl, unrelated question, but something that uh, I was wondering, because uh, we see these internet personalities and all we know is is you as an internet personality, but do you have any hobbies that don't involve guns? Or do you have like a full-time oh, yeah, job actually, or anything like that? Or that's You know, that's another interesting point. It's funny because um, I do I do gun stuff all the time, right? Like like my channel's firearms centric, and I shoot competitions, and I've got collection, and I've got historic yeah. black powder. I'm like I, I love guns, and I do guns a lot. But I would like to think that anyone that knows me would say that guns are not my identity. It is something yeah. I do. Um, it is um, the uh, th- when any one thing becomes your identity. I wonder about that, and like you know how many how many of us know the gun person that. You go look at their social media and every picture of them is not with not with a friend, not with a family, not out doing something. It's with a gun <laughs> like like the gun is the yeah. family member. Yeah. Kind of weird. Anyways, do I do other stuff? Yes. Um, uh, I really love going <laughs> my wife, the gun. Right. <laughs> I, I think I think people listening to this know what I mean by that. But um, 
Yeah. So it's not my identity. It's something I do. So, yeah, I really do love a lot of stuff. I love going to historic sites. I love going into back country to like back country to old like ghost towns, ruins, cemeteries, that kind of stuff. Oh, that is so cool. I do a lot of that. Um, Have you ever been uh, to Saturnalia? Yeah. Well, I I don't know. I mean, that's I've never been. But that's um, I feel like if you're into that, that's a place you got to go. I want to go there, and I, I would say that that's. Oh, you mean Centralia in Pennsylvania? Sa- I'm sorry, Saturnalia. Is that Saturnalia. that's a song, isn't it? Saturnalia it's is a, an old it's a holiday. Dude. Saturnalia is an old Roman religious holiday. Oh, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Where did that come from? So Centralia. Yeah. I have I have not been to Centralia, Pennsylvania, but that's the one that. But you've been to Saturnalia. <laughs> I've been to a Saturnalia party. Yeah. Oh, uh, all right. All right. Uh, but there's a uh, there's um. The Centralia is the old coal mining town. Yeah, with the fire a permanently still burning fire in the mine. Yeah, absolutely wild. I haven't it's been like to the that. Steven Seagal movie, most, Fire Down Below. Most, most of my most of my ghost town stuffs in the Southwest, like New Mexico and Arizona. Um, oh but, yeah, uh, like Western, old Western. Yeah, yeah, ghost yeah, towns? yeah. Old mines. That's and like so cool. Old mining camps and old cemeteries. Like, there's actually a video on InRange that's way old now. I don't remember how many years ago it is where it took me a couple years to find the abandoned cemetery for a ghost town called uh, Charleston near the San Pedro River. And um, the cemetery was on an old topo map from 1880, whatever it was. And uh, I didn't have that map. And I knew the cemetery existed at one point, but couldn't find it. And then one day I stumbled upon an old 1880 something map and it had the cemetery on it. And then I superimposed it on a modern map. And over time, cemetery turned into ruin, which then disappeared off the map and it wasn't there anymore. So I got the GPS coordinates roughly from an 1880s map on a modern map and then had to bushwhack out to the site. And the actual GPS coordinates didn't quite match up with the cemetery, but I did find it. Um, And it was like completely overgrown and there's a couple old cribs and a couple headstones. And yeah, I'm into that. That's like really cool stuff. (laughs) That's so cool. How how hard is it to like how off the beaten path is because i'm assuming there was a road through it at one point but obviously not a modern road i'm assuming well the Char- this particular ghost town went ghost in 1886 so it's been left in a ruined state for quite a long time um it uh, was used briefly in by the military in the 1940s as a world war ii training camp they actually did live fire training there and shot up a bunch of the ruins with bullets um wow and you can still find old World War II munition out there, like old 30-06 cartridge cases and stuff. Um, but uh, the cemetery had been left to its abandoned state since 1886, so it was completely overgrown. You had to legitimately like machete into it. That's cool. That's, That's so going to be cool. a pretty like gratifying feeling to actually to go through the work to find that and and actually come across it like that. Yeah, when you find it, when I found it, it was really rad. Um, that that's one thing I definitely love to do. Um, I do spend a lot of time when I'm not in Arizona in New Orleans. I love that city, um, and I love the culture there, and have friends, and also do collaborative videos with Atun Shea. If you've seen any of that work with him, a little bit once yeah. in a while. Um, so that's a cool thing. I, I love going out there, and that's a little bit change of pace because Arizona. My Arizona life is quite rural and quite remote and isolated, and New Orleans, of course, is just the opposite. Very much a very urban space. Um, what else? Um, cooking's cool. I like listening to music more than making it, but I do like both. Um, yeah, well, yeah I didn't know you were a musician. A little bit. I mean, I don't know if the word musician's right. I can play. I was guitar. trying to find out if that was a guitar strap or an ammo belt behind you this whole time. Oh, uh, that is an ammo belt. My guitar is in the other room. Um, 
but uh yeah no i play i play guitar i don't play it as much as i should i'm reasonably decent at some classical guitar and uh pretty good at some some frankly like metal guitar um that's fun um yeah what else read this a lot of i read a lot of history stuff obviously the old west stuff kind of dovetails into in range work although the old west stuff that I read isn't necessarily always about, in fact, usually isn't about gunfights. It's other stuff. The gun stuff just happens to crop up once in a while. When you read, do you set aside time every day to read or do you just read like when you get around to it kind of thing? I get bursts of interest and then they disappear. It comes and goes. Yeah. I've always struggled with finding the motivation to read. I'll find a book that I really want to read, but I'll read five pages in and I'll be like, this ain't it. Yeah, it's kind of a weird sine wave for me. Once in a while, I'll be at the peak and I'll be like, I'll just destroy a book, and then it'll be a long time where I don't don't. Um, and then when yeah. it comes to the history stuff, I have a pretty on the other side of the wall over here. I have a pretty significant collection of 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 quote old West history content from a wide and diverse level of when it was written as well as authors. And um, I don't necessarily always read each book individually all the way through. I frequently use them to cross-reference specific events and try to get multiple perspectives on one thing. And it's real interesting how different the perspective is from one book to another or from yeah. a different viewpoint. Yeah, That is really cool. Especially yeah, I mean, when it was written in a time where you could lie and it was fine. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, people, were, we... we um, Obviously, and for good reason, we're concerned about our media now and our our mass media. But the old West yellow journalism was the rule. Like a of uh, the newspaper was absolutely didn't even try to be unbiased. It was they would write an article saying such and such is a scoundrel and a trash human being. Like and that wasn't the editorial. <laughs> that wasn't that wasn't an editorial. That was like the article. Right. That was like how they wrote. <laughs> yeah, I should put that, we should put that on a shirt. I am a scoundrel and a trash, and human, a trash being. human being. Oh, like I mean, going back to the famous OK Corral gunfight at Tombstone, there was two newspapers. There was the Epitaph and the Nugget, and the the Epitaph was pro Erp, and the Nugget was pro quote cowboy. And all the articles in there are completely biased one way or the other, depending on uh, which one you read on the same topic. That sounds like it'd be. Is there anywhere you could find the text of that? Yeah, like you can actually articles? some of you can Google some of in fact some of it's online. You can find old copy from both the epitaph and the nugget. Sorry, I thought I was unmuted. I couldn't I couldn't figure out how to hit the button. Oh. Um, that that's cool. That's uh I, I love reading old articles uh like that were written in the in the time that the event happened. Like I uh I recently went on Ancestry.com. Uh, not my account, but my cousin has one, and she found the shipping, uh, the passenger manifest from my grandmother coming over from Germany in World War II, and it has her name. I have no idea how they do this. It has her name written in in pen or pencil or whatever it was, um, and they found and they found it somehow. Uh, and that, really? that stuff is just wild, wild to me. Man. Yeah, it's absolutely nuts. Um, and no picture or anything, but it's got her, her brother, her, and her parents all written down in the manifest, like in the in the in the passenger log. Um, yeah, we've got we've got some you know family legends about uh you know the uh our our fresh off the boat Norwegian a- namesake um 
you know, becoming a frontier Texas Ranger and then a, and then a judge in Fredericksburg. And, you know, it, it all sounds really cool. And, and there are a lot of judges and cops in my family, but you know, I, I don't know how much of this, it, it's hard to, it's hard to find, you know, the, the like real documentation of, of what, of what this guy did. Um, so it's, it's hard to be sure how much is sort of like, um, you know, just like family lore and how much Bullshitted. of it really happened. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm, so I'm a second generation Norwegian. Um, and, uh, I was able to find, hey. uh, I was able to find my, um, grandparents, uh, like literally their, their Ellis Island papers and, um, a picture of the ship they came in, came over on, which is kind of cool. That's neat. That is really cool. That's, uh, but, uh, did they use the same ships? Like, was it the queen? Like my grandma came over on the queen Mary. Both my grandmothers did. Really? The actual Actually. queen Mary, the one that's like docked in long beach right now. And like, I really? guess. Wow. The one neat. that, the one that's like haunted. Cause it ran over another ship. Oh, did that's that happen? Right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's really haunted, but yeah, the Queen um, Mary crashed another ship. Yeah. It, just uh, steamrolled it, it. Well, it was, I, it was some navigational error and a, a smaller ship ended up, you know, ahead of its prow and the Queen Mary's a big ship and it's like, uh, we can't do anything. We can't stop. Sorry. It was like no balls. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, and, so the, there's uh, like, there's like, I think there's like two or three haunted stories for the Queen Mary. There's that one, and there's another one where they were doing some training exercise, and one of the, one of the workers on the ship got crushed through one of the um, watertight doors. Wow, that's stuff. Yeah, every ship is haunted, though. It seems like it. Doesn't I'm it? sure. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> oh yeah, so they, like like that kind of stuff. I kind of um, I I don't personally believe in that stuff, but I do love like cool haunted stories and all that. They're all, they're always really interesting. From a, oh yeah, they're always really interesting from even a history perspective because the best ghost stories come from actual historical events, and so you can listen to the ghost story and frequently get a cool historical event out of a ghost story. We yeah, had just uh... make it. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and just make it generally creepy. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how, um, how to describe how I believe in, uh, in ghosts and shit. Uh, I want to say like, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty empirical, um, you know, skeptical person, but I've also sort of like seen and experienced some things that, that, that you know, it's, it's difficult to to kind of get my, get my head around. Um, and I, I would think that, you know, uh, Carl, you spending so much time out in the, out in, out in remote places and visiting ghost towns, you know, not literal ghost towns, but you know, ghost towns and, and, and they, that you might, you might have run into some things or seen and heard some things that kind of de defy explanation or, or kind of, you know, mystify you. But, you know, it, it doesn't sound like that's really part of your experience. <laughs> I haven't. No, I mean, sometimes some of these places, when they're remote enough, can get it can 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 get up on you because it's creepy and weird or whatever. But um, yeah. yeah, in terms of actual experiences, nope, I haven't. Um, you know what shit freaks me out is is like the myth of skinwalkers. Oh yeah, that yeah. stuff like that's such, a, that's such a meme for gun guys. Those the uh, I know, I know, I don't know where this came from, but I kind of, I kind of, I kind of fuck with it. Yeah, it does. It came it. from the paranormal it board on 4chan. 
Okay. Oh, good to know. Well, I mean, yeah, skinwalkers, like, skinwalkers are a real belief system amongst like yeah, indigenous no, no, no. I, I don't mean like yeah, the the yeah. term skinwalker, but the yeah. but the way that gun gun people conceptualize skinwalkers and the threat of skinwalkers, yeah, uh, is is really a unique product of uh, of of you know message boards and 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 memes. Was that like a creepy pasta kind of thing? Yeah. Oh, I yeah. Feel like it Big was. That's something that I would love to bring to like a fuddy gun range and just show up in full kit and just be like, I need to know how to fucking murk these yeah, skinwalkers. I need, I need in my to know how to kill skinwalkers. My dog What's got up weakness? on two legs and bent over backwards and I filled them full of lead and just watch, be like, hey, uh, is my membership passed yet? Yeah, I killed my neighbors. I, I killed my uh, a skinwalker and it turned back into my neighbor's dogs so and now I'm in no. deep shit. We kind of no. went out. We kind of went down the fun path with the midnight brutality uh, divisions and patches. So the patch for the match, because it's in West Virginia, is Mothman, and oh, um, yeah. oh that's cool. Uh, the light fighter is a werewolf. The night fighter is a vampire. Uh, the infantry, which is the um, active night vision, is a ghost, and the um, the predator or the the hunter is based on predator night vision. It's a Sasquatch in thermal. So that's kind of <laughs> cool. That's awesome. Are those the the the, the divisions or the yeah the division yeah. patches? So Mothman is the patch for the overall event, um, and then the divisions are Light Fighter, uh, Infantry, Night Fighter, and Hunter. Yeah, that's awesome. Man, that's gonna be so cool. Can't wait to see all the uh, footage of just you know black spaces with. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's gonna have some cool I know, recording. I don't know if you saw my promo video for it. I um, I have. A, I did. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, I got. I don't know if you saw. So you saw the night vision parts where we were. I was shooting active. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I got it's, cool no, it's camera. gonna look cool. I was just joking. Like, I got a cool camera called uh, Brain Exploder. I'd never heard of it. Um, what? It was recommended to be by Les from the One Shepherd Tactical crew, but um, it connects to the back of the night vision kit and slides off to the side, and it's got a prism on it, and it records right through the through the night vision. And um, what? It, uh, that's that's how I got that footage, and it it's really cool. Yeah, that's sick. Yeah, so you uh, essentially yeah. you're so. I'm going to be filming the match through through the night vision with my brain exploder camera, and it, it's pretty rad. You should post the, your next promo of it and have it just be sound against the black screen. Just just wasn't that a great sound. video? <laughs> yeah. wasn't that great? Did you see? Did you guys see that? Yeah, did you guys see that? Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, well, I I think we've we've. Uh, gone through most of like the really big questions and um, sorry I have two monitors and I keep clicking the wrong monitor and then I can't talk uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry the continuity of this interview is is, is great I, I swear we're professionals but um, Carl before we let you go um, we're going to hold you hostage for like another couple minutes uh, we ask everybody uh, who is a guest on this show before they leave, if you were to give a piece of advice to somebody, and it could be gun-related, it could just be life advice, a um, little nugget of knowledge, what would that be? Just something I that think, you think people might be sleeping on. Well, I mean, to be honest with you, I think I don't mean to be redundant, but I'm going to go ahead and go with something we talked about earlier in the show, which is to always 
doubt yourself. <laughs> um, don't ever take your beliefs to be something that are not something that are a product of what you've been trained or thought or your environment. And therefore, always be skeptical even of your own thoughts and beliefs and make sure you test them regularly. That's the thing I would say is the most important thing, in my opinion. Hell yeah. Brother. <laughs> Hell yeah, brother. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I I really, I think we'd be in a much better place if people practiced that more often. Yeah, I think so. People, you know, you imagine sitting down to watch the news and hearing them say something so fucking off the wall that you just say like there's no way that's true like that that makes zero sense and then it just doesn't go any farther than that <laughs> can you imagine that like what would happen to q if people just like thought critically like, like wow, wait a second they, sound right. they've changed their the goal they've they, they've changed the date of all the information flooding out on into the open six times maybe mm -hmm. maybe the uh source is incorrect or something no nope, no no no. it's all part of the plan i so i do i that's a that's a solid solid nugget of nugget of advice and uh uh, easier said than done by a lot of people, but and I'm sure myself also. Oh, I, I'm not saying it's easy. I just think it's a it's a goal to strive for. Absolutely, man. Maybe for you guys, I'm always right. Yeah, we already know. Yeah, that. we already figured that out earlier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Carl, this was awesome, man. Um, I we really appreciate you coming on late, and I know it's it's a couple hours earlier there, but. Uh, it's uh we were we were super pumped to have you on and this was a lot of fun. Man, um, can I just say I miss Arizona time. I miss oh, the yeah, no we times. Don't, we don't we don't do we don't do I hate there. that you guys have the only it's it's this Oh, it weird, was so nice. I I agree with it. I think no I don't think we should have daylight savings time anymore or at all. Like I think it's I don't know anyone that wants it. So yeah, it should no. be No. Yeah. It's like uh what what is it? It's like Kinder eggs. Nobody goes to the store and wants Kinder <laughs> eggs, but they still make them. I don't know why. Stop making them. Get rid of it. <laughs> Who's buying this? Nobody. Nobody. Anyway. Well, I wanted to say thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Thank you for the support. And it's always nice to oh, have an man. opportunity to talk to other people and talk about different topics that aren't necessarily the same stuff we that we do on in range. So it's a, that's a nice opportunity. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. We're uh, super happy to have you on, and and hopefully we see you at uh, one of the brutality matches next yes. year. Yes. Yeah, you'll have to come join us. Absolutely. I have to. I have to. I'll tell yes. my wife that you said I have to. And yeah, no, it's so I don't not have, an option. I don't have a choice. No longer an option. Carl, this guy from the internet. We were watching YouTube videos of you earlier because I was I was trying to show my wife uh, who you were and and what. Like and it's she's a big just, deal. Seriously, she's just not into guns <laughs> at all, and it's really funny because like I'm like, isn't this cool? And she's like, I. I don't know. Like it's 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 super humbling. Like when I'm telling somebody like what I just spent eight hours doing on my Saturday, uh, you know what, like orders and and posts and all that stuff, and they're just like, so you're on the internet a lot. Yeah, <laughs> it's like to somebody somewhere. <laughs> oh, wow, what you, you do with your week up. means nothing. So you, so you like guns? Like, all right, cool. Great. Okay. Cool. That's neat. Uh, but anyway, yes, we'll let you go now because I'm awful at these. Uh, I'm awful at goodbyes. I'll probably walk in the same direction of you as uh, when we say goodbye. <laughs> All right. Um, as I'm doing right now. Just so, wait. Hold on. He's got to say goodbye like six more times uh, and then change the subject each time before, goodbye, uh, goodbye, before goodbye. we're actually allowed to leave. Goodbye.